Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Hey, welcome to Dr. Who Podcast. Uh, don't forget to check out the Swingin' Sounds, also the other family of pods we have at drdrew.com, and also our Facebook page. And we're going to come up with the, if you pay attention and slash uh, sign up at contact, we will be giving you the ultimate opioid article. Opium, opiates and opioid article. I'm, I'm sick of the... Uh, I'm sick of the confusion out there about our opioid epidemic, and so I'm going to put together the ultimate series on that, and we will have it uh, being published on a regular basis, so keep an eye out for that. It's my privilege to welcome today Dr. Dan Reardon, CEO and co-founder of Fitness Genes. Welcome. Thank you very much for having and, me. And uh, fitnessgenes.com, G-E-N-E-S, is where you can uh, find out more about this, Fitness Genes. I did Fitness Genes, and uh, I'm fascinated by this kind of thing. It's something that confirms everything I've always believed, which is that this idea that we can make generalized uh, diet and training recommendations for everybody, and they apply to everybody. is a huge mistake. I mean, I, I, since CrossFit sort of hit, I noticed that I was always being recommended to do things that, frankly, felt horrible, I wouldn't do, broke me down, and lo and behold, fitness genes, when I did the genetic profile, it's exactly what confirmed everything I, I believed about my own genetic uh, biology. I think we find that with lots of people. Um, the interesting thing about what's going on in the fitness world at the moment is we're constantly hearing about all these innovations. Mm-hmm. But with all the innovations, the levels of obesity are going up and up and up. And, you know, we're the, uh, the idea that we could actually come out with a product to try and cut through the noise for people and actually really identify what are the right ways to exercise and what are the right ways for to you, eat. For you, for you. Yeah, Absolutely. I, 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 I mean, it's just so ridiculous to think the idea that we could one size fits all. It just doesn't make sense even. Well, I think whether it's fitness and nutrition or even medicine now, we're recognizing more and more. It's all very personalized. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're everything that we do now is about mitigating the risks of failure. Mm. And, you know, for example, you just talked about being told to go and do CrossFit. Yeah. Well, you know. Probably most people, if that's their initiation into the exercise world, I mean, there's not many people that are going to last more than a week or two weeks. No. On the, and on the other hand, for me, I've been lifting weights since I was like 15. Mm. And immediately, I was gravitating towards six to eight reps, very heavy weights. I enjoyed it. I felt good. It, I liked everything about it. But as soon as somebody started saying, oh, no, 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 you got to be doing 12 to 15 reps. You got to lighten it up. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. It felt bad, and I got nothing out of it. Or whatever I did get out, I would lose it in about a, a half a day. And you're not suited to it. No. And actually looking at I know. <laughs> this confirmed everything that I knew about myself. I mean everything. So go ahead. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the way we deliver the results is we look at genes that are related to exercise and genes that are related to nutrition. So. Yeah. Let's stick to the topic we're talking about, which is volume of exercise. When we're talking about sets and reps, we're referring to volume. And there's a very interesting gene that we look at, which is the ACE gene. Now, as a doctor, you'll know ACE for a medication perspective because we we prescribe base inhibitors. I was a clinical doctor for 10 years. You know, we prescribe base inhibitors. For hypertension. Absolutely. And you know that the effects of the ACE 
angiotensin converting enzyme is all to do with water retention and salt retention. But one of the things that they found out was that, or that they discovered, was when they were looking at endurance athletes, pretty much all good endurance athletes had a certain variation of this particular gene. And people that were a bit more focused on strength and power-related training had a completely different variation. And for you, you have two copies of the variation, which would imply less of a tendency towards long, uh, drawn-out endurance type stuff and much more the strength and power. So from a volume of training perspective, quite low-volume training. But... In terms of recovery, when you add in one of the genes which we look at that has an effect on recovery or has an effect on the recoverability of fast twitch muscle, you carry one copy of the gene variation, which means you produce a protein that actually enhances or improves your speed of recovery so that, yes, you should be doing low-volume training, but you should definitely be doing a lot more training that focuses on acceleration. So the the sort of the lift part of the movement, lifting up fast. Um, well, let, let me I, I'm not let me let me give a little bit of interpretation please, on please. that. Please. So you're saying that uh, I I am quick, but but I don't have speed, right? It, I'm so, no endu- no endurance. Yeah, so yeah. so when I played football, American football. Yep. I was a defensive lineman, and I was ah. the fastest person off the line. I could get into the backfield before anybody else could even see what was going on, and then I had to watch the play go by me because <laughs> I just it was the end of it. It was just it was a burst, and then that was it was over after that. Well, really interesting because you have the, the we've talked about the power and strength combination yeah. here with the ACE gene and the recoverability yeah. and the fast twitch activation and, and and anabolic signal into the fast twitch muscle. But another interesting one is a gene called the MCT1 gene, which actually adds weight to what you've just said, because the MCT1 protein actually carries lactic acid into muscle cells to break it down. Now, you carry one copy of each of the gene variations here, which means as a male, you're actually slow to clear lactic acid. Sure. So it's just adding more weight to that conversation of, you know, you might be able to quickly burst, yeah. but then you're just going to just like completely gone. Drain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. gone. But absolutely. then, but then I do recover pretty quick. Yeah. I, yeah. I do. I, I, in a couple of minutes, I'm fine and go back right back at it. And that flips back into yeah. the effects of the, uh, the ACTN3 gene. But then now see if I, let's <clears> say <throat> I had no experience <clears throat> working out. I didn't yeah. know all this stuff about myself and I was. 20 and you, I, yep. I come to you, you test me would you be advising me to do all the things i'm already doing sort of automatically potentially yeah so from a training perspective one of the things that i'd be saying to you is yes focus on low volume training so in the rep range of sort of anything from two four six eight that's me um short recovery with- i've had to the two to four stuff i've had to get rid of as i've aged because of joint and you know soft tissue stuff, you have to be so, careful yeah, there for yeah. sure um recoverability so short rests within the workout actually exercising quite frequently. So probably most Every days day. in the week Every I'd have day. you exercising. Yep. Yep. But I'd also have you controlling the tempo of the exercises as well. So tempo refers to how long it takes you to, say, lift the weight off the ground and then yep. put it back down. Yep. Because you clear lactate slowly, I'd actually have you lifting at a slightly faster tempo. Uh, and the reason for that, quite interesting, like let's say, for example, you were doing uh, a deadlift. Mm-hmm. Uh, deadlift is where you're picking the weight up off the ground and putting it back down. Yeah. When you're lowering the weight down, the muscle is contracting in a slightly different way to when you pick the weight up. It's concentric versus eccentric contraction. The problem when you're lowering the weight down and you're eccentrically contracting, there's less motor fibers that are recruited in that process, which is the reason why there's an increased risk of injury. Uh, So if you clear lactate slowly and there's less motor fibers getting recruited, then you're going to fatigue a lot faster if you're performing the, if you're performing the movement slowly mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. if you're doing it fast absolutely. and you're not giving it a chance I, to, to breathe up. That's I for sure have that. Yeah, so, um, so it would be, so as I say, low volume, uh, low recovery, 
frequently exercising and so literally I'll, t- I'll tell you how that manifests i mean let's say i was yep. doing a deadlift yeah i could lift quite a bit of limitation being the back but yep. but i can lift quite a bit of weight three reps and then i gotta breathe yes but then i can go right back i can keep going but i cannot do seven without break yeah and that break may be 12 seconds but i've got to go <sighs> and it makes and then boom it makes so i'm much back sense. in it makes so much Isn't sense and even the, the probably clearing some of the co2 and absolutely stuff too, yeah. absolutely but the purpose of the breath as well so you're taking deep breath and yeah. getting oxygen in so yeah. you can try and break down some of that lactic acid I, uh, is it that or am i clearing something it feels it feels more like i'm, I'm it could clearing be some, it could some. be but are you holding your breath when you do the exercise uh-uh. uh no i breathe pretty well okay. but there's something about needing a deep breath yeah. in yeah. there that, that's different well i'd say it, and, and by the way during yeah. complete yeah. muscle inactivity. Yeah, so. so it could definitely be uh, sort of the carbon dioxide effects, yeah, but it could it also is. be as well contributing to the lactic acid. Both, right? Is Absolutely. Both. Absolutely. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. And 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 I think that, you know, again, if we if we sort of flip back to what you said at the beginning, understanding this information can actually really target you to your workout and actually empower you enough to enjoy what you're doing, knowing it is the right thing that you should a- be doing. Absolutely. I, and even with all the years I've done it, I must tell you, it changed my psychology a little bit. First of all, I've always had a little bit of guilt not doing what trainers always told me to do. Lost For that sure. immediately. <laughs> it was like gone. <laughs> and then number two, made me focus on my strengths. Excellent. So I started, even with all my soft tissue stuff from aging, I started going, you know, I should be lifting heavier weights and I should be doing six reps, not worrying about 12. Yep. And uh, felt better immediately. Perfect. Yeah. Well, the other one as well that's quite interesting relating to training is we look at a gene called the clock gene. Hmm. Now, the clock genes are really interesting and topical because last year, three American scientists got the Nobel Prize for their work with the period genes. Yeah. And the clock genes are part of the, the period genes sort okay. of complex genes. So is what time of day I should be working out? Absolutely. Okay. And so you carry one copy of each of the clock genes which means that if we were looking for the most optimal time of the day to work out it would probably be be between sort of the morning and lunchtime. Yep. Um, So it wouldn't be necessary. It it could be later in the day but it definitely wouldn't be early in the day. Yeah. I've done it, you know, doing five and six in the morning stuff but I feel terrible. Not for you. Uh, And my performance is down. Uh, My optimum performance is about 10 a.m. Yep. That's maybe 9.30. Smack bang Uh, in the middle. But I I will also sometimes do four in the afternoon, not uncommonly. Just if I miss it, I'll grab it four in the afternoon. Yeah. And that's okay. But seven at night, no bueno. Yep. No, no bueno at all. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's the worst, actually. Worse and, than the morning. Yeah, for sure. And and so you imagine now that you're somebody where, you know, you have difficulty exercising and you think that you've got to get up at the crack of dawn right, and right. you know you can't do it. And it just it's adding a massive negative. Well, right, it's to your it's, experience. It's, it's right. And it's it goes at the phenomenon of the fact is the exercise that you should do is exercise you want to do and will do. For sure. If you really don't want to and you really don't like it, you're probably gonna sustain it. On the other hand, this stuff I really like. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy. It. I feel bad for people that don't have that experience of feeling good during certain exercises. Yeah, and I think it's you know most of the people that have that experience, it's it's a confusion about what they should be doing. Yeah, you know, and I because think because everyone's I, telling them what to do, for as sure, opposed to for sort sure. of finding it for or, sure. or measuring it yeah. like this, and they and they know that the person on the cover uh, is not them. Yeah, but yet yeah. they've been told that that's how they need to work out. You know, people are sensible enough now, and you know, to you know, they're always questioning because you know what they've been told. They're not actually getting the emotional attachment. Whereas when you actually deliver them the gene information and genetic information, or 
in fact, it doesn't have to be genetic information. Just anything that is personalized into that individual, yeah. they get the emotional connection and they, yeah, it's they, about, they it's cross very, the line. Right. Cross I, line. So let's go into diet a little bit. Let's For talk sure. about that. So, because this all also felt familiar to me too. Yeah, diet and, and diet's really interesting because we're generally in a world where marketing and media drives the dietary choices people take. And one of the really common ones at the moment is uh, the diets where, you know, should you be doing low carb, should all you be paleo, doing high carb? Exactly. Yeah. And you've, got, you've definitely got some really interesting gene results here. So <laughs> the first one is the, uh, the, well, the APO2 and the APO5 genes. Yeah. So the APO2 gene, what studies have showed is that if you have certain variations of the APO2 gene and you consume a diet that's too high in saturated fats, you'll store more body fat than if you had a diet that's lower in saturated fats. Okay. And for you, you actually carry the variation, which would imply that you shouldn't be consuming too much saturated fat in your diet. So... I also have large vessel vascular disease in my family and hypercholesterolemia. So wow. that's always been kind of like, nah, fats, I'm, I go easy on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so definitely a diet low in saturated fats. Low or just not high? Um, I would at least, I would say lower than, lower than 13%, okay. between yeah. probably 9 and 13%. Okay. Now, the APO5 gene is a gene that's all to do with what should your polyunsaturated fat intake look like. Um, so certain, when, you have, when you carry certain variations of this gene and you have a diet that's high in polyunsaturated fats, it pushes your blood triglycerides up, mm. which you know, might have an effect, might not have an effect. Right, where that's very confusing. But I would say definitely I would prefer not to have high yeah, blood triglycerides. Sure. And you carry that gene variation. So that would imply overall you'd certainly need to keep your omega-6 fats down and try and push up your omega-3s, um, so things like fish oils Which and things like that. Yep. But I would definitely focus on consuming more monounsaturated fats, so right. from sources so like avocados. Avocado. Yeah. Absolutely. Which I do. Absolutely. Right. Now, the other interesting thing with these genes is that if you do have that particular gene variation, what they've also the, found... These, this particular combo. This pati- well, with, the, the, Apo with the Apo5. Apo5. So with the Apo5, with this particular gene variation... If you have a diet that's slightly higher in fats overall, so particularly higher in monounsaturated fats, you're actually less likely to store too much body fat. So you might be somebody who might benefit from a diet that is actually slightly higher in fats overall, as long as they're coming from the right sorts of fats in terms of body composition. Monounsaturated? Mainly monounsaturated, but also omega-3s from the polyunsaturated group. The other interesting one for you is the, the PPAR gene. Now... Again, we live in a society where everyone talks about you should be following a diet that's low in carbohydrates. But certain genes can give you information about how well you switch from, say, burning carbohydrates to burning fats or oxidizing fats. So some people switch really poorly and therefore lowering carbohydrates would be a good thing. But if you switch effectively to burning fats, then there's no reason to sort of crash lower carbs. And for you, your genes would indicate that probably you do switch quite well from burning carbs to burning fats. So in a dieting process... Probably the worst thing that you could do is to all of a sudden remove carbohydrates and then try and just eat protein, just eat fats because you don't need to. So for you... I've noticed that I am able to... Back when I was a kid and really trying to build muscle mass, uh, it seemed like no matter what I ate, I built muscle mass. It was like carbs or protein or fat. It just all sort of worked equally. Even though I tried a lot of high-protein stuff, Mm. I'm not sure it did very much. And that's – so it's, it's really interesting because if you look at, say, college footballers, yeah. generally you always know who's 
from from high school, even from like you know the early school years, you always know the kids that are likely to end up as footballers yeah. because they they don't necessarily need to eat a certain way or train to uh, train a certain way to just be really athletic and yeah. really big. And yeah. and so so what you've just described there is it's quite common in athletes that. But but now what do I do with all the central fat, which is now sort of as I age getting to be the thing? Yeah. So now we need we actually, it, it it becomes almost formulaic that you actually really need to sort of dig into these results and start making the making decisions about the things that are really really important and so i mean for example one of the uh, other gene combinations we look at here is testosterone mm-hmm. and we've created a scoring system looking at genes genes that have an effect on steroid hormone binding globulins and free testosterone estrogen receptors and things like that uh, and for this at the moment you're coming out at a medium so one of the things that you know as part of the overall you know what are the things you need to look at it might be looking at the the natural dietary ways that you can sort of improve testosterone so you know how much magnesium you're consuming how much vitamin d how much zinc you know are you adding things like fenugreek which potentially might have an effect on the uh, some of the conversions i'm so, a prostate cancer patient so i always worry about raising testosterone levels ah okay and, and my and i get it measured regularly and it's always moderately high interest free testosterone In- so do you use alpha blockers as well for that uh, no, 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 any, no 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 nothing just just had a big surgery and stuff and waiting you know for that shoe to drop wow <laughs> but yeah. yeah but there's all kinds of data yeah. about testosterone and prostate cancer we don't really know what it's doing to for it, sure really. and, uh, well, it's, it's i think t- i think testosterone is actually over the next 10 to 15 years going to be one of the sort of the biggest growth areas. I mean, yeah. it's already been a growth area in yeah. the US. I mean, in the UK, we haven't quite got to the levels that you've got out of the US with the sort of the, the, the male hormone clinics and things well, like that. Well, none of that. that is, female testosterone yeah, replacement yeah. is becoming yeah. a big thing and, and seems to be less risky than for males. Yeah. So there's yeah. a little more enthusiasm for yeah. it. So. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating area. Um, and the, uh, another incredibly interesting one as well for you is um, so. The, the idea of a fast metabolism and a slow metabolism yeah. is generally what people recognize. But the reality is a fast metabolism isn't fast, it's inefficient. Mm-hmm. Someone who can eat a lot of food and not does, store it, and not store it yeah. then there must be an efficient step somewhere. Yeah. And it turns out that there's some proteins that sit on the mitochondria, which are the energy factors of cells and called the uncoupling proteins. And when you have certain variations of this gene, you end up losing the energy as heat rather than storing it. Oh. And so it leads to a faster and inefficient metabolism. So for you, you actually have an inefficient metabolism. Really? I thought I was very efficient. Well, it's inefficient. And, and that's important to know because if you're, huh. so for example, you've just mentioned that you, know, you want to yeah. lose um, some body fat around the middle so we need to look at the ways that you're first of all have enough energy to exercise as high a capacity as you can but then you're also fueling yourself appropriately to recover afterwards uh, and then you're not consuming foods at the time of the day where the calories just aren't going to matter because if if actually you're very focused on body composition on providing energy and then making sure you've got enough circulating amino acids and energy for the muscles to recover then you need to make sure that you know you're eating foods at the right time and nutrient timing becomes important i noticed there's something there about alanine transfer also did i see that um or about an amino acid transfer or, or... yeah i mean there's i mean there's uh, there's there's quite a few sort of yeah. uh, genes that we're looking at. Well, I think they said alanine supplementation or something. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, beta alanine. Yes, be- yeah. beta alanine. Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, so with beta alanine, we actually look at combinations of genes there, and look, we're it's looking b- at beta alanine. Yeah, beta alanine. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, it's 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 a really common supplement now in the sports world because of its effects that it has. It has a number of effects. Yeah, One, yeah. it can improve blood vessel dilation, which enhances recovery and also delivery of blood to to working muscles, uh, and two, it can have an effect 
effect on the speed at which you break down uh, lactic acid. So people advocate it with creatine, don't they? They absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So most pre-workout formulas now they will have um, uh, beta alanine, yeah, creatine, right. branched-chain amino acids. Creatine uh, makes me too jittery, so I've sort of pushed away from. But I thought maybe I'll go back to beta alanine. That seems. It's it's a it's a popular. What, what does it do? What will it do for you other than well, the blood supply? Yeah, so uh, so for you it would be recoverability. So how well you recover, how well you're clearing lactic acid, given that we know you clear it slowly. Mm. So especially if you take it in combination with supplements like L-citrulline as well, it could be uh, very effective for you. The trick with beta alanine is making sure that you take it in the right way. Uh, and the evidence shows that you normally need like 1.5 grams uh, about three times a day. Oh, uh, take it throughout the day. Take it. Throughout I thought the it was day. just a pre-workout thing. It's give, well, it's in pre-workout because yeah. it's good to have it pre-workout. But the optimal doses, actually, it's when it's spread through the day oh. rather than just taken in in in, in one go. Uh, and the other problem is, if uh, so, the problem with beta alanine is that if you take too much of it in one go, you actually start getting like prickly ears and you, you oh, yeah, like yeah. itching yeah. your one of the itchy yeah, scalp yeah. off. And and that's where you have to be careful with supplements because sometimes what they do is you think you're taking a supplement that's high in beta alanine, and therefore you're going to get lots of beneficial effects. But sometimes they put a lot of niacin in there and niacin gives you the same effect oh, yeah. so you have to be a little bit careful so o- overall we got to wrap this kind of up a bit sure. I, I hope people understand how how complete and interesting this is i was fascinated by everything you're doing and it, you. it's what it's what i hope for excellent uh, and 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 well it exceeded my expectation frankly because I, I, some of this research i've never even heard and yet it, it in drawing on the research that you had and the things you measured confirm things that I knew to be true about myself, but just, again, refine them. Fantastic. And freedom in certain ways. It's great to hear. So, so overall, can you give me an overall sort of dietary kind of a guideline? For sure. Yeah. So from a dietary perspective, I would say that <clears throat> you definitely need to be consuming carbohydrates in your diet. I also as, think, as, didn't it say protein in the morning too? It's like eggs in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah, which absolutely. has always been my habit. Yeah, so because you have, you have the FTO gene variation as well. So high-protein breakfast – because that will increase energy expenditure and reduce the likelihood of snacking through the day. Mm-hmm. So a very high-protein breakfast. Uh, through the rest of the day, making sure that your meals consist of about 35 to 40% carbohydrates, uh, probably around about 30% protein and the rest coming from fats. Mm-hmm. Keep your monounsaturated fat intake high um, and make sure that you're having a meal at least an hour before you work out. How about MCT oil? Is that uh, a monounsaturated or no, doesn't count? Yeah. So, so I mean, if it's if it's a good MCT, uh, yeah. So, so the MCTs are a, are a different type type of fat. Yeah. So they're the they're the short to medium chain yeah. um, triglycerides. Do they um, do they they don't call, they don't sit in the same category as the monounsaturated? It depends the source. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the source. If you're if you're relying on coconut oil, for example, for your MCTs, then there's a lot of saturated fat in there. Whereas yeah. if you're using some of these other sort of you know um, oils or powders that are just purely MCT, then yep. you won't have the saturated fat effects. So yep. you, you can definitely consume MCTs, and you know some people actually advocate now taking MCTs before you work out because the short chain fats act as an immediate energy source. I, they they cut my appetite too. Interesting, and, and, and I, Interesting. I, they do seem to affect my metabolism in a way that I'm not quite sure I can. De- Define it, but something's happening. I can tell. So, 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 from your perspective, yeah. MCTs before you work out will mean that one, you're not relying on muscles getting broken down for energy, right. which is a positive. Right. Um, so, also perhaps even some branched chain amino acids as well. Um, uh, but two, the MCTs actually do those get in in pills. You, you take them. You can take. Yeah, you okay. can. You can definitely take M- uh, branched chain amino, okay. amino acids in powder form. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the second thing with the MCTs is that if you're relatively fasted when you take them, then it's going to push your ketones up, and ketones yep. are a very good immediate source of energy, yep. I, and I, also I for mental clarity. I definitely as well, so. thrive on ketones. Yeah. yeah. For sure. 
Really good. I mean, really. It's, congratulations. This is uh, and and th- if somebody goes to fitnessgenes.com, they get this readout. Yes. And then you actually will give them a personalized sort of a review. Is that how that works? Or? So we have a we have a, a a really cool community now um, online where um, if people have specific questions, I'm always available to answer them. But we, you know, what what typically happens is. As you start to sort of feed the community with information, it all gets shared. And we just have lots of people now that when people ask questions, they're jumping in and saying, oh, yeah, I know about that. It's all at fitnessgenes.com. Fitnessgenes.com and then, you know, with our like Facebook groups and things like that. How's this going? Is it going good? It's going really well. We yeah. uh, we raised our Series A last year. Great. So we've gone through a few rounds of finance and investment now. Uh, we have a patent pending model on some of the back end stuff that we do, and we've had like government grants. Uh, we got an award with Microsoft. Great. Congratulations. So it's, it's really cool. Really. All cool. right, Dr. Dan Reardon. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me be analyzed. I was. It's fascinating for me, and uh, and it's still. Again, it's. It's funny how how these m- relatively minor tweaks can make a significant difference. And For sure. tomorrow I will be doing some minor tweaks: avocado, MCT, timing, eating. I've committed to the protein in the morning <laughs> since I got my results. Excellent. Which is, again, a preferred way. I feel better when I do that. So Brilliant. There's a lot to this, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having we'll me. We'll take a little thank break. You. Be right back. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health-conscious individuals like runners, cyclists, weightlifters like myself, and vegetarians to get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash Drew. You will get a nice big surprise in your insurance rate, and you'll support the show, and you'll see if you qualify. That's right. On average, 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. So Health IQ can save our customers up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. It's like saving money on your car insurance for me, a good driver. Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. You should be rewarded for that. 70% of the clients get exclusive rates at the top rate class. And this is the fastest-growing life insurance company with over $5 billion in coverage. So why shouldn't you benefit? I want you to go to healthiq.com slash Drew to see if you qualify. And if you do, why not get that savings? Do it now. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. A lot of times that is not the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they are not available. Not with True Car. Of course, I'm talking about True Car. You get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by True Car, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a True Car certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Yeah, you know, and we talk about all the time. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. Next, True Car, TrueCar.com or True Car app will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. Over 3,000 True Car Certified Dealers are available nationwide. You will get to work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer that you may contact with. And True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster, better buying experience when they contact a True Car Certified Dealer. And on average, you can expect to save over $3,000 off MSRP. Once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. Hook up with that True Car certified dealer. Have a better buying experience. True Car, go to the truecar.com or True Car app. Do what I'm telling you. 
And we are back, and I am privileged to welcome a friend of mine and uh, someone who is an expert. Uh, so sit tight. You want to hear about this. Dr. Todd Hutton. Welcome, Todd. Good to hey, see you. Good to see you, Kendrew. Dr. Hutton is a board-certified psychiatrist, fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He's an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the USC Keck School of Medicine, where he teaches residents in psychiatry. We've known each other for years and years and years. About 25 It's now. been 25 yeah, years? Yeah. Don't That scares me. That frightens me. Uh, Dr. Hutton's <laughs> Twitter handle is at Hutton H-U-T-T-O-N. And the website pertinent to the some of the treatment we're going to be talking about here is SoCalTMS.com, S-O-C-A-L-T-M-S.com. Let's just get right into it. What is TMS? Well, okay, so TMS stands for Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation. So if I break that down, Transcranial, meaning across your cranium, across your skull. Magic. Yeah. It's a magnet that goes across your brain skull. Magnetic. Into and then, your brain. And stimulate. So we're stimulating the brain. Yeah. And the, the thing about it is, so as a psychiatrist, we, I do a lot of therapy. I do a lot of prescribing, a lot of pharmaco- pharmacology. We now have another tool, a way to stimulate the brain uh, to treat depression and potentially a lot of other things. So the way I think about it. How do you, you know, wireless charging is all the rage. Yes. How does that happen? Magnet. Exactly. Yeah, but people, the people have not studied electric, uh, the physics of of electrons, uh, is that magnets create currents. They move electrons forward, and your brain has a certain amount of electrochemical qualities to it, so the magnet causes currents in the brain. Right. Is that one way to look at it? Yeah, so magnetism and electricity are sort of two sides of the same coin. You can turn electricity into a magnetic pulse. And magnetism goes straight through things. So it goes straight through your skull, unimpeded, unlike electricity. And then it gets converted back into electricity in the neurons in your, in your brain because they're like wires. Yeah, sort of. And, Ish. And, and, <laughs> and they can make you fire. So the same yeah. way that your, your, your cell phone can now wirelessly recharge, we can actually deliver energy across the skull. And some of the, f- the issue in depression is a – deficiency of firing or deficiency of concentration yeah, it's been of known, chemicals between the cells. It's been known for a long time that there was typically areas of the brain that were underactive in patients with depression. And um, a really smart psychiatrist named Mark George back in the 80s and 90s was looking at this saying, well, if we could just literally stimulate these underactive mood areas in the brain and make them fire, could we make them sort of come back alive? And so that's exactly what we do. We deliver the pulses, pulses, thousands of pulses in a treatment. And it's literally like exercising that part of the brain. When you exercise a muscle, the muscle gets bigger. You've been able to demonstrate that those parts of the brain get bigger. Brain growth factors are released. Wow. New connections are sprouted. Uh, literally, they can measure growth on an, on an MRI and an increase in metabolic activity now in this area that restores it to a normal is there more yeah. – once you get a clinical response, is there a higher probability of a sustained response than, say, a pharmacological agent because of this growth? And I know there's some observations of growth from pharmacology too. Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, the kind of – we need to do more long-term studies about what happens because uh, one of the th- problems in the field right now is we have only done these short-term studies and we can get people better and yet depression is a recurrent and chronic illness in many, many people, and it comes back many times. And so uh, we're now looking at ways to maintain people. So one of the things we do after we do an acute course of treatment, which is basically five days a week for like six weeks. Mm. How long? Half hour, 40, half hour usually. Tanning session. And uh, you're awake, you're alert, 
Uh, you feel this kind of woodpecker on your head. Hmm. So but going back, so when we get people well, we're now looking at doing maintenance treatment where right. you come in once or twice a month and just to maintain that improvement that you've got going. But So yeah, how long the improvement maintains is, is an issue uh, because we don't have the studies enough yet showing how to maintain it. Are there side effects? Very, very few yeah. and much much less than medicine. Okay. And that, that's going to be my question. It's still a little bit of a confusion to me is that people don't like taking medicine. Uh, this has yes. – what I've read about TMS is it looks very effective and very appealing. Why is it not more of a first-line treatment or is it now becoming that? Well, it really could be a first-line treatment. I know. And people kind of would want it to because people don't like taking medicine. Because it's actually – has fewer side effects than medicine. Yeah, I it's get actually it. safer than medicine. There's – is it the insurance companies don't pay for it yet? Yes, or what? it's more that's, expensive. It's so a more time the issue. It, 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 yes, it's oh, money. So ridiculous. It's money. Um, and yet they could probably save money in the long run. Well, you know, the insurance company. They will save money in the long run. Yeah. We're trying to educate them about that. Uh, but it takes you know five seconds to take a pill and it's a lot cheaper. But whereas coming in for TMS, you know, of course, the TMS treatment is going to be like six – we do – 30, 40 treatments over a course of six to eight weeks. And so, you know, it adds up and it's a time commitment. But um, we're using it, say, as a first-line treatment, say, in pregnant women who don't want to take medication. Oh, that makes sense. Perfect. Right? Yeah. Nursing. Yeah. Uh, Have you used it in the setting of recovery and addiction? Yes. How's it work? Very well. I bet. And it helps reduce cravings and... Uh, had success using it in chronic pain patients. Do you are you focusing on different areas with these different syndromes? Sometimes yes. Yeah. Sometimes with pain we focus on actually on motor strip instead of mood areas. <clears throat> you would think sensory strip. Well, no, I would actually think uh, insular cortex because I know that's the one that's firing strangely with with certain kinds of pain syndromes. That too. Um, we can't. It's hard to reach the insular cortex it's because it's kind of buried. Yeah. So we reach an area that's connected to it upstream from it. Anterior cingulate. Uh, dorsal lateral prefrontal oh, cortex. Oh, perfect. Okay, yeah. And, and then so that stimulates the we stimulate stimulate. this. There's this really easy spot to find in the left frontal lobe, and everything downstream is also stimulated. So huh. we're stimulating a network. We're not just stimulating a place. We're stimulating a whole n- mood network and and all the downstream areas. So we can we can stimulate the insular cortex indirectly by. Who do you want? To, who do you? Uh, I, I'm an enthusiast about this. I've wanted to do this podcast with you for a while because I know you've been doing this for a while. We've talked about it over the yeah. years, and and I and I've still sort of been always a little bit confused that it is not more mainstream. <laughs> it's weird to me that it's not. It's weird to me too. Yeah, it's weird to me too because it's 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 a great new tool. It's fantastic, and, and it and it, it. I think it has more antidepressant potency than medication. It's a step below ECT. Right, which is, still, which is electric shock therapy. Electric which shock is also therapy. also moving electrons, but moving at a large scale. Yeah, because you're using directly electricity on yeah. the skull. And yeah. to do that, you have to be under anesthesia. And It's not focused. It's not anatomically. It's just it generalized. It stimulates yeah. the whole brain. Yeah. We, we trigger a seizure. Yeah. People get confused. It is still the, the granddaddy of depression treatments, It's but it's also kind of the Hail Mary of depression. You don't yeah. do it until you're super your desperate. Life's, yeah, your life's in danger right. and nothing's working. And so there's a big gulf. So – Antidepressants help millions of people. Yeah. I don't want to completely trash medicine. They help millions of people. I still prescribe a lot of medication. Antidepressants don't help millions of people though too. Mm-hmm. Typically, we say like 30% of patients do great on medicine. Another 40% do kind of sort of better than nothing. And another 30% are kind of like, eh. Yeah. 
and how have about, a lot of side this? effects. And that's millions of people. Is that the same thing with this, or that, is it better? Uh, TMS. We're getting fifty uh, percent. I was going to say you've got to get at least half remission yeah. rates. That's that's my sense. Of Another twenty five percent we call response, which yeah. is like you're not completely cured, but you're definitely a lot better. And another twenty five percent that we're not getting better, probably because depression is probably more than one thing. Sure, it's probably not just. Are you giving psychotherapy to some of these people at the same time, or do you subselect that group, or does everybody get that? Or well, yeah, there's a big uh, uh, school of thought in the field, like doing therapy during the treatment, or what is what you do during the treatment, activating certain parts of the brain, which therefore the treatment has more effect on those. Yeah. And so some people are doing therapy during the treatments. I, I would think particularly if you're going after the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, that's CBT. Right. right. That's, that's what activates that region. So that's an exciting thing. Are, uh, is, is CBT the kind of psychotherapy you're doing or are you doing – it depends on the patient? Depends on the patient. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on the patient. It's, it's – um, Right now, logistically, it's sometimes hard to do it. Uh, there's been PTSD studies where they do like a desensitization and then they'd go do a TMS treatment. Oh, interesting. How about OCD, any of those or anxiety disorders? Um, PTSD is in the anxiety disorders yeah. family and we're having some good success reducing anxiety symptoms. Uh, right now, we're treating a lot of depression but there's a huge overlap with anxiety and we see those anxiety symptoms get better. Um, OCD lives in a deeper part of the brain and uh, there's some research being done um, – on a magnet that will reach that. Yeah. It's not it's not clinically available in the U.S. right now. Um, it's being looked at in stroke recovery. Oh wow, interesting! Because we're getting the brain to grow and fire. Sure. Sure. So if you if you have a stroke, are you going to recover better from that stroke if we give you TMS treatments in your recovery period? It, it would logically seems to follow. Yeah. So who do you want to contact? Who should be coming in? I mean, because it, it seems like it's a pretty broad range of patients. Let me see if I can give a, a, right. a, a shot at it. Somebody re- is unwilling to take medication but has a significant depression. Yes. They should see you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, somebody who's been uh, on antidepressants but not sub- the suboptimal response. Yes, absolutely. Or, yeah. Uh, some- there, there have been a lot of people who come in and say, you know, it helps me maybe 25%, so I keep taking it, but this is not a good life. Side effect profile they don't like. That, yes. To me, that'd be a reason. That's a killer too. Yeah, I mean, just all the sexual yeah. dysfunction, all that kind of stuff, and the weight gain, and you don't have to worry about any of that with this, do you? No, no weight None gain, no sexual side effects. Yeah. A seizure happens maybe one in thirty thousand treatments. Okay, really rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, during the treatment? During the only during the treatment. So who cares? Only in the treatment so when you're, you're in prepared, the office. You're prepared for that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. Might even enhance the effect. I say it. I'm, I'm, it's a, that's a doctor joke. <laughs> so who – so uh, – well, so is, this is FDA approved. Yeah. It's covered by most commercial insurance. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, Anthem, Blues. But then they have certain Cigna, criteria uh, you have to meet to get – Yes. Blue, right? And uh, <clears throat> a common criteria is you've had to have psychotherapy and you've had to try at least four antidepressants. Some are three. Some oh. are six. Jesus. Tried and failed. Yeah. Well, but literally still, that's millions of people. Yeah. It could be a first-line treatment. It doesn't have to be a second-line treatment, although it's only ever been studied as a second-line treatment just because of the time factor and the cost compared to medication. Uh, so insurance companies are driving a lot of the rules about who gets as always, it. As always. Um, if somebody wanted to pay cash for it, what would it cost? Of course, a treatment would be about $10,000. Oh, it's expensive. Okay. Yeah. Sure would be – if you had the money, it sure be tempting though. I'll tell you what. Well, it gives people their life back. And you know, side and, effects and, 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 and not taking a medicine all the time. Yeah, and and you know, it's it's one thing to take a blood pressure medicine, I, like you know, I do every day, and that's bad enough. But to have to get them a psychoactive, it's I, I can imagine that would be uh, uh, right something you want to get away I mean, from. We have people come in and and then go to work. 
Yeah. You know, they, they go about their day. They don't have to do anything different with their day. They're not – they might get a headache a little bit. Um, they might be a little bit tired after a treatment. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really nice to give something a treatment that people really like, that tolerate, that works for a, a large percentage of them when a lot of other things have failed. Um, what, so, what excites you for the future in this treatment? Oh, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the Model T era of this treatment. I mean, we're still just – there's so many things to figure out. Like, where, where is the optimal place to put the magnet? I mean, it was picked because on the scans of depressed patients, this was the underactive spot. And what, what is it generally you're going for? Um, dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. It's kind of like the left, yeah. upper left side of your temple. That's generally um, where this treatment is applied. Yes, yeah. generally. Do you ever go to the ventral medial? Or can uh, you get there? God, the Canadians are doing that. Because um, I've always felt like that. Canadians are doing that and putting the magnet there yeah, and I, I getting good the, results. The and so, PL, I think I, okay, so there's nothing. So we don't know the best spot to put yeah. the magnet. We don't know the best pulse sequence. We don't know like how many times a week should we do this. There's um, there's some suggestion that actually doing interval workouts like. Instead of doing 3,000 pulses in a sitting, doing 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, separated a little bit, might be a little bit better. Um, there's just so much to figure out. And then there's so many other things this might go for. OCD. Anxiety uh, disorder. Anxiety PTSD, disorder. I'm sure there's stroke. a lot of it. Oh, yeah, stroke. <laughs> Migraine but, headaches. We're looking at yeah, There's some, oh, there's some protocols for that, for helping that. Um, and I've been really excited about the, the, the chronic pain patients we've treated. Had a really good, you know. But, but right now, depression is what's covered by insurance. And um, tell me about the chronic pain. What, what's your sort of? What do you think you're doing there? You say you hit the motor strip. Well, okay. So you know, chronic pain has very little to do with what's actually going on in the body. Correct. Right. Your your it's your, your brain. It's 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 in your nervous system. Yeah. Okay? Your autonomic and your central nervous system. You know, and and a lot of the efforts have been treating it sort of from the bottom up, and yeah. we're trying to treat it from the top down. In in and in the perception of pain. And the pain patients is like, yeah, I have pain, but it doesn't stop me anymore. I can now go out and do stuff. I'm not drugged down by it. Well, and I was that's why I was thinking about the insular cortex and adjusting that whenever we talk about chronic pain, because that's the misery part of the pain. It's the, yes. it's the emotional charge of pain. Right. And that and that's and, and you're that's going indirectly thing. into the insular pain cortex. is a pain is a is a psychological experience. A, an emotional experience, yeah. yeah. And uh, oh is that my phone? That's my phone. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> that's that. That's not mine. Uh and uh, – oh, my gosh. Everyone's coming after me all at once here. Uh, so the insular cortex, which you go after with chronic – chronic, well, part right. of what you go after with, with One of these pain. mood areas, right? Yeah. Uh, and do you ever – I always feel like there's a big sort of bodily-based component to pain, obviously, and trauma. Do you ever do things like any way of getting at the vagus, do sort of vagal nerve sorts of – or any of the autonomic functions? Anybody looking at that? Well, um, I know it's very deep and very different systems. Well, vagal nerve stimulation has been a depression treatment. But can per- you get that with a magnet? Well, actually, you know, when, you're, we, when we stimulate the vagus nerve, you're, you're stimulating it like a foot away from the brain. Yeah. <clears throat> we're stimulating the brain directly. I mean, we're but can going – Can you get the nuclei for the vagus, <clears throat> all that stuff? Not right now. Okay. Not with the kind of magnets. Our magnets only go cortical deep. All the magnets that are currently available just going cortical deep. But the brain isn't like a map of the states where this lives here and that lives here. It's like a map of the freeways. This is the 405. It's interactive. That, it's, and, and, and all these parts are, it's a, are connected. And yeah. so if you can access the network somewhere near the surface, you end up stimulating the deeper spots as well mm-hmm. because you stimulate everything downstream. When you're firing more from this cortical spot, 
we see spots on the other side of the brain, spots deeper in the brain lighting up in response to that. Speaking of chronic pain, I, I always think of the close relationship with trauma. Is there a trauma treatment here too? Psycho, you know, childhood trauma, chronic trauma, that kind of thing? Maybe. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like we're still in the Model T days. Yeah, we're, yeah. Still, we're still just like focusing on depression right now. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of excitement about what might come and what might work out. I don't know that everything's going to work out. Um, you know, people are researching Alzheimer's and things like that. I, I don't know that. That's a little too global. That's, that's, yeah. that's, I don't know that we're going to change the underlying no. disease process mm-hmm. there. But these other types of things where we have these dysfunctions that we know are reversible yeah. with medications and therapy may also be reversible. I, I've always been very excited about this, and, and I'm just I'm so delighted you're doing it. I wanted to you know alert people to what this is: transcranial magnetic stimulation. Go to socaltms.com, or you can follow Dr. Hutton at, at dr. Todd Hutton H U T T O N. Is there a phone number if somebody's really motivated and wants to look into this further? Absolutely, eight six six. Three two two seven 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 six. And and although I know you and I trust you and I and I certainly refer people to you, the these centers are around the country as well. Do you have a network or do you recommend a certain way of getting at it if you can't travel or aren't in this area in Southern California? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Neurostar.com will get you to no, – Northstar.com? Neurostar. Neurostar.com. We'll get you to um, Neurostar providers. That's the type of uh, machine that I like to use and okay. is the most commonly used one in the country. Uh-huh. Um, we sell CalTMS. We have six now going on eight locations around wow, California. Congratulations. Listen, Dr. Hutton, I appreciate you being here. Uh, I, I think we got it's it. My pleasure. I think I think uh, I think people, because again, I, I think there's a lot of um, people don't like to take medication, and I'm always looking for alternative and ways to do this. People and, only get partly better, or yeah, not better, or they yeah. give up on it. We've seen a lot of people who just like I gave up on going to my psychiatrist because well, that's a just, shame. There's there these they, sometimes just because they're not aware of these alternative kinds of interventions that. Can, this I like this one because whenever there's something that does work and does no harm, I'm all in. Oh so yeah, that's that, what I like. That's the thing. I love. It's so yeah. benign. I I, I I don't feel bad about treating anybody because I know I'm not going to hurt anybody. And there you go. And uh, Dr. Hutton, thank you so much. And everybody else, we'll see you next time. All right, Drew. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D R D R E W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.